Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and we're going to take a survey of Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament. All right, I want to begin this morning with an imaginary scenario. Okay, Imagine that you skipped church next week. It's just an imaginary scenario. Imagine that you played hooky. You decided to sleep in, to catch up on your email. Now this scene that I'm describing begins after the lightning strikes, okay? And the locust plagues. No. Um, okay, let's say you get your computer back up and running. You click on an icon and it says, you got mail. And you click to open the email and look. It's an email from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, one of the most famous messengers on the Lord's behalf, has written you a communique, Okay? That's pretty much what we have here in this book of Ephesians. Today we begin this new year in Ephesians and we're going to cover all of verses 1, 2, and 3. And you will see, I hope, that pretty much the, the way they wrote back then was very similar to the way that we do in an email. First you see who the, the uh, letter is from and then you see who it's to and then you see the subject. Look, from Paul at SavedByGrace.com. To the saints at Ephesus.com. And there's the subject. You are rich. Okay, that's going to be the simple outline that we're going to follow today. Okay, let's get started. Ready? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So first we see who it's from. Now there's a few things that I've mentioned before, so I probably won't uh, linger on them, but let me touch on them. First thing to remind you of, the word Paul means small. Or little. Now that's significant because you remember his name before he met Jesus? Saul. Which means desired one. That's what it means. Desired one. Saul was the uber Pharisee. The guy who was considered himself God's gift to Judaism. Well, the day that Saul met Jesus, he went from thinking of himself as Saul, desired one, to Paul, the little one. And maybe you think, oh, poor Paul. He lost his self-esteem. How sad. No, if you read the letter, matter of fact, he writes this from jail. He's way happier than any of us would be in jail. He's extremely blessed, yet he calls himself little. See, Paul went from thinking, he went from being a little man who thought that he was big stuff to a man who realized how little he was, but how big God is. And that's when he started seeing God do huge things through him. Think about this. Nobody preaches about Saul, the desired one. Nobody says, man, Saul was a world changer. Nope. They say, pretty much every Sunday, I bet, if across the world, somewhere in the world, someone is probably referencing how God used this guy who called himself Little to turn the world upside down or right side up for Jesus. First application. Maybe God has humbled you lately. Could it be that he's just getting you to where you're usable? That he wants to do great things in your world and he's willing to make you little first. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, this written letter is written from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Apostle. It means a delegate 
a messenger, an official messenger sent forth with orders. So Paul is writing from the very beginning here as an official messenger of Jesus Christ. Now you think, well, little Paul, who gave you such a big job? Um, God. It says right there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is because God made it so. It's not because Paul just decided to be an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's very important. I really think it's essential that as we begin this letter, remember that this is an official communique. It's really important to remember that it's not just really so much from Paul, but it's through Paul, from God. Paul, right off the bat, makes it very clear. Y'all, this is not an email from your buddy Paul. Okay? This is not an email from your, your good friend who hangs out with you. No, he is writing an official letter from the desk, as it were, of God. See, and I think the reason that before, before we go too much further, we need to decide whether we actually believe Paul here. He claims, look, I'm representing God. I'm giving you the official message from God. You need to decide that because it makes a huge difference. Think about this. If this letter is just from the mind of the desk of Paul, then it comes from a mind and a desk just like mine. Okay, maybe not as bad as my desk, but... Then, then he's just, if he's just a sinner, and he is, like me, if this comes from his mind, then he could be wrong about some things. And you're going to see... Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is talking about the riches we have in Christ. All of those riches, if it's just Paul, just become maybes. But if, in fact, the letter was written through Paul from the mind and from the desk of God, if Paul, in fact, is an, an official authorized messenger of Jesus Christ, which he claims to be here, then all of the riches that are promised in chapters 1, 2, and 3 are not maybes. I hope so. They are absolutely for sure's. And you can have great confidence in them. And I do. I believe that this letter has been delivered to us by Paul. He's an official delegate of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I hope you do too. Because if you do, that takes this letter from being just an interesting thing to study to a letter that can change your life when you understand what God has done for you. So we've seen the author, Paul at SavedByGrace.com. Next, the recipients, the, the saints at Ephesus.org. Okay, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. I really think that it should read this way. Oh, look, we're copied on it. <laughs> to the saints at ccotl.org. Really, we can, I really think we should read the letter like it's written to us. Right? You, most of you know, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture, Ephesians is part of Scripture, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Most of you know that. We need to look at all of the letters of the Bible as though they're written to us. But did you know that this book in particular, interesting, some of the earliest manuscripts of Ephesians actually read this way. To the saints who are in blank, faithful in Christ Jesus. 
Now, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that this letter was what was known as a circular letter. That means it was meant to be circulated around from church to church so that every church could benefit from it. I have more supporting evidence if if you're interested. Remember that Paul is not addressing any specific issue in this, this letter. Compare that to Corinthians. Corinthians, he is... Uh, rebuking these guys left and right. He's trying to correct things that they're, they're doing wrong. Uh, when Paul writes to the Galatians, right, he's exhorting them and, and uh, rebuking them about their falling for back into legalism. In Philippians, he's writing, one of the reasons he's writing is because there's two ladies arguing in the church. Okay? These, these letters are very specific to specific churches, but interesting, both Ephesians and Romans, we just finished Romans, are unique in this way. They're not really written to address a specific problem in a specific church. They are both global, if you will. They apply to any and every church. Ephesians and Romans both. But really, it's even more interesting to me that this book, I think, is even more, if you will, global than Romans. Because you remember how Romans ended chapter 16? Paul saying, hey, say hi to Phoebe. Say hi to so-and-so, Right? The end of this book, you don't find that long list of, say, hi-tos. Very interesting because didn't Paul live in Ephesus for three whole years? Is it because he didn't like those? Oh, I know them too well, don't want to say hi? No. I think it's truly, it makes sense to, to me when you consider that perhaps Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, but he intended all along for it to be read in all of the churches, even this one. I think we could, I think we actually probably should read it this way. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Eustace, faithful in Christ Jesus, to the saints who are in Tiberias, who are in Mount Dora, Leesburg, to the saints in the villages, to the saints at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now you're thinking, okay, I get that. Paul could be talking to then all of us here collectively. But maybe some of you are thinking he couldn't possibly be talking about me because he uses the word saint. And believe me, I am no saint. Well, the Bible says if you've repented, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you actually are a saint. Now, don't know if you know that. Maybe you've been taught this way. That saints are the really extraordinary Christians who live selflessly and then they die. And then they, there's a couple miracles done in their name and then they live forever in bliss on a dashboard of a Subaru. <laughs> the Bible never uses the word saint in that way. The word saint means holy, set apart. Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus... He has set you apart. He's made you holy. He has justified you. Made you just as if you'd never sinned. He's taken, he set you apart. He's taken you off the wide road of destruction. He set you on a narrow path following Him. If you are saved, you are justified by the work of Jesus on the cross for you, then You are, believe it or not, a saint. I am a saint. We'll be selling figurines out in the lobby. No. 
Really, you can, you can find a very simple definition of the word saint um, right here in this verse. To the saints who are in Ephesians, then it says and, or it could be even, um, especially those, it says faithful in Christ Jesus. I think there's a definition there. Really, a saint is some, simply someone who is faithful or, turn it around, full of faith in Christ Jesus. A saint is simply someone who has put their faith, their trust for the rest of this life and the next in Jesus. I know, most of you heard it before, but it's still true. In this room, in the whole world, there are not three categories of people. Maybe you think there's three categories of people in this room. Uh, Unbelievers, regular believers, and super-duper believers called saints. Nope, just two categories. Saints and ain'ts. My desire is that no one would leave here and ain't. You become a saint to receive when he says, I want to set you apart. Okay, on to verse 2. A standard greeting um, in Paul's letters. You find this in uh, nearly all of his letters. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, think about this. The official delegate, right? The, The messenger of the Father and of the Son. He says, I'm sending you a message from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me start by saying this. They greet you. And here's how they greet you. Grace to you and peace. Grace. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. It means goodwill, loving kindness. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you, we were reminded by the angels when they spoke to the shepherds. God has good will toward men. So often we think that God is mad. He is righteous and he does have wrath. But the angel's message was the same that Paul's message here is. He has grace toward you. See, the word grace, it means unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness. Most of you know this. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great great way to remember grace. God's riches at Christ's Christ's expense. How many of you have listened to our Dave Ramsey fans? Okay. You know, when, when people call in, he sa- they say, how are you doing? He says, better than I deserve. That is grace. Better than I deserve. The first thing out of Paul's mouth now as an official delegate, look, the, the Father and the Son want me to first express their goodwill, their loving kindness, their grace toward you. Verse 2, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. It's a, it means the state of tranquility. It's an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. It means peace between individuals. It means harmony, accord. Grace and peace. See them in almost all of the letters. And you always see them in that order. You never see peace and then grace. You see grace first and then peace. Why? Because you can't have peace with God until you receive the grace of God, if you're a Christian and you're in this room, you know that we were at war with a holy God, right? We, we don't deserve his kindness. But one day, Christian, for no discernible reason, he brought you to a service just like this and he spoke lovingly to you. He said, I, I love you. I don't, want you. I don't want to send you to hell. I don't want you to miss out on heaven. Let me give you my grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. If you're a Christian, one day God said to you, let me treat you better than you deserve. And when you finally surrendered, you found out because the grace, because of the grace of God, you can now be at peace with God. If you're a Christian, the war is over. Application. First to the believer. Let me ask you, if you're a believer, do you believe this official delegate, Paul, when he says, I'm bringing tidings from the Father and the Son, and here, here it is, here's how I want to start, that he has good will toward you. Christian, do you believe that he's treating you better than you deserve? And that he always will? And if you do, why the complaining? I say that to myself as well. Next application, unbeliever. Do you believe this official delegate from the Father and the Son? If you believe his words, you can believe me that your war with God can be over today. You surrender and let him treat you better than you deserve. Okay? So we've seen who this letter is from and we've seen who it's to. Let's also look at the subject. Here we go. The subject, you are rich. Okay, and this is not an email from a princess in Uganda that needs you to supply your checking account information before she can bless you with all of your riches. No, this is Paul, the official delegate of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Look what he says, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says the subject of this letter, blessed be or speak well of the God who has made you rich. Y'all, that could be the, the heading over all of chapters 1, 2, and 3. This book, if you didn't know it already, this book divides very clearly, very neatly, easily into two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. Would you like the outline for the whole book before we begin? Here's the outline for the whole book. Um, the, the message from Paul. I can put it in one sentence. You ready? You are wealthy. Now walk worthy. Look at chapters 1, 2, and 3. You'll find that it says you're wealthy over and over and over again. Verses 4, 5, and 6 says, now walk worthy. We see it. This verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, begins that whole section. Look, you're wealthy. You're wealthy. You're wealthy. Let me show you how wealthy you are, is what Paul says in these first three chapters. Now turn to chapter 4, verse 1. And you'll see that he says, now walk worthy. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I love it. Paul writing it from prison and he reminds you right there after he said how rich we are. Isn't this awesome? Oh yeah, I'm writing from prison and I want to say, now walk worthy because you're so wealthy. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul lays it out how rich you are, how rich you are. And then he says, okay, now respond. Does that sound familiar? Book of Romans? Chapters 1 through 11 start out, we are wretched sinners, we need a Savior. Oh, look, here comes our Savior to rescue us. He's never going to give up on us. He's going to make sure that we make it to the very end. And then chapter 12, verse 1, 
turns the page and says, Now, knowing the rich grace of God toward you, what's your reasonable service? What's your reasonable response? Give yourself to Him. It's the exact same formula, if you will. This is really important, especially if you are not a believer yet. And I say yet, hopefully. Please listen. Ephesians, Romans, the, the, the way that they're laid out is really important because of this. Real Christianity, I don't know what you've been told Christianity is, but real Christianity never starts with you doing something for God. With you doing something to make God happy with you. It always starts with God doing something for you. It always starts with God rescuing sinners. He makes them rich. And that sinner then responds to God's goodness. See, let me put it this way. This book's message, the, the, the message of Ephesians is not this. Look, you walk worthy and then you'll be wealthy. The message is Christian. You're so wealthy. Now walk worthy. Now, maybe many of you are saying, okay, I'm tracking with you, but if I'm so wealthy, somebody tell my wallet. Well, read verse 3 again. Read it carefully. Notice it does not read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every material blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. No, he hasn't necessarily blessed you with every material blessing, but Christian, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Okay, now the hard to convince probably would respond to me that way, this way. Okay, I get it, Pastor. You mean pretend blessings. (laughs) No, no. No, I mean riches that are more real. They're more lasting than material blessings. I know it's so easy for us to get in the material mindset, but let me remind you where every material blessing, that iPhone that you wish you could afford, whatever it is, this is where all the material blessings will end. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements, pretty much everything that you see that you can touch right now is made of elements. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in the holy conduct and godliness? The, the material blessing that you might be seeking, its end is to be melted. Now, compare that. Look at our text here. Chapter um, 1 of Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with not material, but spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Literally, heavenly places is in the heavenlies in Christ. See, the spiritual blessings that we're going to learn about over the next few weeks, okay? We're going to learn uh, a lot about how rich we are in Christ. Okay? These spiritual blessings are, are invisible, okay? They aren't material, but they are very real. And listen, they are so much more secure than the material blessings. You guys remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6? It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, in the heavenlies, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Did you get it? The stuff that I think the Lord is going to show us how rich we are cannot possibly be taken from us. Interesting to me that the Lord chose this book to, to begin this, uh, this year. Y'all, in our community, even in our own church, we're seeing more need, material need, than we ever have before. Would, would you all pray with me? Because I feel like the Lord has given me an inkling of a way that we can help. A way maybe to connect some people within the body who need help with who can help. But even that is, I'm sure, going to be a drop in the bucket with the material needs. So what really becomes important is this next paragraph I'm going to say to you. Ready? Y'all, the enemy wants us to obsess, to freak out about the material things that we do not have. And he wants us to completely overlook, if, if we will, if we're dumb enough, to completely overlook the abundance of spiritual blessings that he's already given us. Matthew 6, the same place where Jesus says, don't invest into this earth, but invest in heaven. Matthew 6, he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's just been saying how your father will provide for those things, he says, but don't spend any effort worrying about them. And then he says this, and I love it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The enemy would love it if you were to spend the rest of your life worried about food and clothing. Y'all, and the arrangement of this book is very interesting to me from another angle. If you've you thought about this, chapter 4 again says, look, you're wealthy, now walk worthy. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't even begin to address these practical applications. You know, Calvary Chapel, we're all about application. Okay, show me where the application Wow, I've got to wait three chapters for application? Paul doesn't even begin to say, he says, look, I don't, don't even worry about application until you get this in your, I was going to say thick skull. Uh, he wouldn't have said that, but I, I would. Um, he doesn't even begin to address the practical application until he has pounded into us. You've been given so much. You've been given so much. And you're so rich. Why do you think that is? This is, this is the, the, on the negative side, though maybe the way to describe it, why it's important that Paul would take this, this approach, tell you how rich you are before he gives you application. Because... If you don't believe that God really loves you. If you won't believe that he's already blessed you abundantly. You won't obey him. Your application won't happen. Y'all, I read Malachi earlier this week. Um, It's the last book in the Old Testament. You can turn there if you like. The commentary before this book was fascinating and it really struck me. Here, in, in a nutshell, I think, you know, if I gave you a sentence for, uh, for Ephesians, you're wealthy now, walk worthy. Here's a sentence that I think covers Malachi. Dullness to God's love 
results in disobedience. If you're unaware of how much He loves you and how much He's blessed you, you'll end up worse off in the disobedience department. If you will, with me, we're coming close to the end here. Um, would you work back with, backwards with me through the book of Malachi? Look at chapter 3, for instance, verse 13 and 14. Let me, let me preface it by saying, this is like a conversation between God the Father and Israel, who, whom he's, he's delivered out of Egypt, he's done so many great things for, and he's finding them drifting further and further away. There's a poignancy to this. Uh, God's trying to have a reasonable conversation with his children. Look at verse 13, chapter 3. The Lord says, Your words have been harsh against me. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? The Lord says, Well, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Okay, we're working backwards. The, the result the last accusation, if you will, that God has against Israel is like, wow, you think it's useless. You're saying out of your own lips that, oh, why do I even serve God? Back up to verse 8. God says, look, you've robbed me. And Israel says, how have we robbed you? I don't remember robbing you. And God says, you've quit tithing. Back up to chapter 2, verse 17. God says, you have wearied the, the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? In other words, as you get into the middle of this book, God's saying, I heard you when you said I was not just. When I was not fair. Back up further. Uh, look at the beginning of verse 13. God says, look, I noticed you've divorced your wives. I told you I hate divorce because of what it does to families, but you do it anyway. At the end of chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 7 through 9, chapter 2, God says, look, even your priests are stumbling people. You back up to the end of chapter 1, God says, you're offering me second-rate sacrifices, blemish sacrifices. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Chapter 1, verse 11, my name shall be great among the nations, but you profane it. That means to, to cause it to be common, to talk about it like it's no big deal. You say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. Verse 13, you also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it. It says, you're bored. You're bored of being in the house of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 6, 7 but you say, in what way have we despised your name? See, here's the deal. This conversation is between God the Father and the children of Israel. And he's trying to, to connect with them. And he says, look, you're saying this about me. You're saying this about me. You're saying this about me. And they're saying, what are you talking about? They are dull of hearing. The whole book, it seems, is God saying to his children, look, you're growing further and further away from me. You're disobeying and you don't even know it. And the response, when you think about it, is chilling. They say, what do you mean? The problem is that they have grown dull. Now, you want to know where it all starts? Go back to the very beginning of the book. 
Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, the official delegate to Israel. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way? Dullness to God's love results in disobedience. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I, I've told you I loved you, and you say, well. Dullness to God's love is the top of a slippery slope, if you will, that results in more and more dullness and more and more distance and more and more disobedience. No wonder Paul spends three chapters spelling it out. Saying to saints just like you, I know you think you're poor. Your financial situation is worse than it's ever been. You never thought you'd be here. Y'all remember Paul writes this from prison. And the delegate from God is relentless in this one pursuit. There's one thing he wants you to know from chapters 1 through 3. Christian, you are not poor. If you have Christ, you are rich beyond your imagination. Then and only then, he can come to chapter 4, verse 1 and say, Now, walk worthy. It's really important that we understand, especially in these economic times, Christian, you are not poor. Let me show you, again, just to, so you know I'm not making this up. You'll find it out as we go through. But let me show you, just to give you a quick cross-section of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Read with me chapters 1, verse 18. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and uh, we're copied on it for us at Calvary Chapel. Chapter 1, verse 18. Ephesians 1. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He says, I'm praying that God will open your eyes, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Riches all over that. Okay, chapter 2, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. What's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense is given to you. You don't deserve it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You've been given that. Chapter 3, look at uh, the, the middle of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, this is my prayer, Paul says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in church, in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Y'all, that's my prayer for you. It's Paul's prayer for us. That our eyes might be open. That we would see how rich we are. That in the coming weeks it would be very, very clear to us from uh, as this official Communicate from God. You're not poor. You're rich. Now walk worthy.